Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are joined with Heather Rankin who is up for a Juno this year. So congratulations on that. Thanks. It's so incredible. Um, you know, because when I set out to make a solo record, you know, it was just more or less to prove to myself that I that I could take it on and, and uh, that I had something to say in my music. But to be acknowledged by the industry is just, uh, it's the most incredible feeling. You know, it's affirmation that you're on the right track. We'll get into that a bit later, but first I read that uh, you were actually pursuing a career in acting before you joined the Rankins. Yeah, it was something as a kid that I aspired to, and I actually, when I went to university, that's what I studied. And my intention was to pursue that direction, Um, but I was also dabbling in music with my family, well, throughout my life. But in the late 80s, we, we got together one summer and did a show called The Mabu Jig, and that led to making a record, which led to, you know, a, a short-term commitment, so we thought. And uh, before I knew it, I was, you know, doing that for 10 years. And it was difficult for me to to balance the two, because acting, it's not like a one-off. You have to commit time, and it's hard work, and, and there's a lot of skill involved. So you can't just, you know, do it on the side. It's something you really have to be committed to. And uh, and it was difficult because I would have had to, you know, break the stride with the family. Um, and so I put that on, on the back burner. But recently I've been doing a little bit, uh, some live theater, and I, and I did a few uh, appearances in film. So, yeah. You were part of what I call Rankin 2.0. Uh, more or less the second group of the rankings, because, you know, a lot of them, uh, when they went off to college, you and Jimmy and a few of the younger siblings replaced the older ones. Uh, I want to mention, though, when you guys disbanded, did you dive back into acting, or what What exactly did you do? Early on, I, um, I, did, I did introduce myself to the theater community. By that time, I think I was a little bit afraid. I think was a lot afraid, actually, because by that point, most of uh, of the actors working in the community had 10 or 15 years experience under their belts. And as I was saying, theater is not something you can just throw yourself into. You actually, you can study it, but you the real learning happens in the process, on the stage, with other actors working and developing your characters and honing that skill. So... I was, you know, I, I had tried out a few productions, and then I ended up sort of getting sidelined um, with with three of my sisters. There was a um, an old general store which had been converted to a pub. The Red Shoe Pub. Uh, in our community of Mabo called the Red Shoe, that's right. And uh, it was up for sale, and it just seemed like such a shame to us because it had become a venue for people to perform music. 
And uh, people were looking for a place, a destination on that side of the island because we'd been out singing about it and singing about the people and the experience of growing up in that part of the world. And so the four of us got together and just sort of naively bought this pub, and I was all <laughs> gung-ho to, to manage it. And, and that's what I actually, for a few years, I did that. And then again, I started to pursue theater uh, after that. The Most of the work that I've done on stage in theater has happened in the last five or six years. I was doing all kinds of things, really, um, but I did continue to perform with Cookie and Raylene. We, we had recorded a Christmas record in 97, and uh, every year we were able to go out and tour with that record. As those opportunities became less frequent, that's when I really started to think about pursuing a solo career. And you just mentioned, of course, Raylene and Cookie. Now, I got a two-parter for you, and I'll, I'll start with the, the the funny side of this, is who came up with the name Cookie? I don't know. It's <laughs> We were bad for, for nicknames in our house. Everybody at some point had a nickname. You know, and don't take this the wrong <laughs> way, but I was called Dick until I um, <laughs> went to school. My teacher refused to call me that. That was my name. That's what I answered to. And I think it had something to do with the reader. Um, there was a preschool book, Dick, Tom, and Jane. I think is what it was. I still have the book. So sorry. We all had nicknames, but uh, Cookies is the one that really stuck. Yeah, it seems like going going from Cookie to Dick is a big it's a big change. <laughs> It's almost like I can imagine I can imagine your mom calling in for dinner and saying, you know, like Jimmy, Cookie, Dick, and then you're just uh, yeah. like, yeah, no, that's me. I know, I know, I got to come in for supper now. Um, uh, one of my brothers still calls me by <laughs> that name. It's so bizarre, isn't it? I don't wonder if it's something to do with their culture. You know, like I don't know, probably not. But we we used to keep a border at our house. <laughs> we grew up in a house with three bedrooms and a walk-in <laughs> attic. Had one bathroom and no shower, but we still had room for boarders. And but one of our uh, boarders was was Umpsy Murray, and he was really one of those people who loved giving you nicknames. He's actually the person that Jimmy wrote the song Malcolm Murray about. You just mentioned about your sisters and how you bought the Red Shoe Pub. Which sister were you closest to? Um, you know, we're all close, but I think I was very close with Raylene, and I think had a lot to do with she was eight or nine years older than I am and uh, I think she had a lot of responsibilities growing up in a family with a lot of siblings a lot of the responsibility was spread out over the older kids they they acted as parents a lot of the time and Raylene had a, a very maternal instinct and I often think of my childhood she was often the person who bathed me and put me to bed and read me, and she. I just I remember her being my go-to a lot of the time because my mother started to work at the age of my. I was about four years old, and uh, I don't know that was part of it. But she was just very protective and encouraging and loving. Um, I mean, all of my family are in different ways, but it's hard to, to connect with everybody all the time. We live in different parts of the world, and but I'm also very close with Cookie. I think it's just a natural. Thing. We have a bond, having spent so much time together. And uh, if you don't mind me asking, how, how tough was it when you found out of Raylene's passing? 
know if you have any experience with cancer, but it's it's a very gradual it's a very gradual thing. It you know it's it's devastating when somebody receives a diagnosis. And she was young; she was only forty years old, and it was just a year after John Morris had passed. It was really tough, and she had a four year old son. You know, uh, it's it's hard. I I still miss her. I I'm still grieving, although it's been five years. I don't know if it's what happens when you get older, you just don't bounce back the same. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I still get emotional when, when people bring, bring her name up. It's tough. You've been nominated for Juno and an East Coast Music Award. Which one do you value most, or are they both equally as valuable? Um, that's a good question. You know, when you make music, it's not about awards. You're not thinking about being nominated for awards. Make the music. I guess it's a way of connecting with people. You hope that it resonates with people. It's it's fulfilling. It's a, it's an amazing process. But you know, it's a compliment. It's a compliment from your the the people in the industry, and uh, it's you know it's encouragement uh, to to keep doing what you're doing, and uh, you know it's it's evidence that what you are doing is resonating. Yeah, the awards are great, but it's not what it's about. It really isn't. It's a wonderful feeling, but it's not why we why we make music. And it's it, I don't know if I can say if I have a preference. I mean, it's it's nice that people in my backyard are appreciating what I'm doing, but it's also a really great feeling to know that you know my music isn't just resonating regionally. That people in the industry across the country recognize it as being worthy of of being in a category with. Celine Dion and Sarah McLaughlin and Chantal Kreviazek. You know, these are are three of Canada's most talented and successful, not just women, but artists in in Canada's music history. When you were in the Rankin family, um, I've noticed that each one of you kind of have, because I've got a few of the songs on the on my iPod, thanks to my parents. But of course, I li- I listen to it as well. Every it seems like there's different ones that every each one of you have your own kind of intro or some songs. It sounds like there's more female vocals in the male side. Um, for example, my favorite one to listen to every now and again is moving on. And I think you're the one who starts that song. Yeah. You know what? I remember um, on most records, I would dig out um, cassettes that Jimmy had given me songs that he'd written. And uh, I remember Bringing that to the group, I'd listen to a tape of his, and and I think the sort of the first instinct was, ah, uh, you know, it might be just outside the box for us. And then we tried it, and and I think it just, it's great. It's it's one of those songs that we would have performed at a pig and whistle to get people up boogieing. And uh, I really liked the song, and I liked what it was saying. I, I guess, yeah, I started song but i don't know if it's if it was just how it sort of unfolded in the rehearsal or um i tended to have a i think maybe slightly purer voice and sometimes i would start off the song and it would build dynamically yeah but i'm not sure that's how it unfolded i can't remember that <laughs> no i mean that that's 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 fair i i just remember because i mean you can find the I guess the videos there on YouTube, and I remember watching it when I was when I was smaller and watching CMT, and the the moment that the Rankins came on, Jimmy's song came on, or an Anna sister came on, or Anna sisters were on the countdown. Uh, I was thinking to myself, "Are you kidding me?" I'm like, 
this is great. It's small. It, it just brought out the the culture side because you're so used to watching CMT and seeing at that time like a Tim McGraw or a Garth Brooks. And I'm not saying that that kind of country isn't good. I like it. But to have that kind of fiddle music or an East Coast kind of music showing on CMT was definitely something a little bit encouraging and a little that kind of struck home. Absolutely. Some of the best music in the country comes out of the East Coast. The the other thing I want to mention, too, is, of course, now in 2017, like I mentioned a few times already, you're up for the Juno and the and ECMA, uh, East Coast Music Award. Um, when did you start working on that album? I, it took me a while to just um, be able to say that I'm making a solo record. Um, I guess just being in that dynamic of having family around me most of my life, whether in a personal setting or a business setting, <laughs> It was a huge leap for me to to make a record. And when I set out to make the record, I I had some ideas about directions to take. I'd been writing some songs, and I went out and I worked with a few people. And really, from start to finish, uh, working with David Tyson, it took about three years. It's, it's, it's a long process. It wasn't like, you know, full on. I'd go down to Los Angeles for a couple of weeks, we'd try to write a song, um, we'd go away, we'd come back and work at that song, we might do some bed tracks for that song, but that's why it just took a while, because I didn't have all of the songs going into the project, and I really wasn't clear about the direction I was going to take, because I could have made a traditional record, I could have made a folky record, I could have made a country record. But I was very careful in deciding which direction I was going to take. And I think I didn't know, but I subconsciously knew that I wanted to do something that was different, that set me apart from what I'd always done with my family. Okay. That, that sounds uh, reasonable. I mean, because when I'm, when I'm looking back at it and you look at the Rankin family and you see how Jimmy went, you kind of wanted to go in your own route as well, which, which makes sense because you, you always want to show that you're just not a – I guess in the sense of a one-trick pony. You can be, when you know you have a bit of talent, you can go and show people, like, this is what I've done with this crowd, and now I can do this on my own and show them that there are more layers. Yeah, well, you know, I think that over the the course of 10 years that we toured as a family, and, of course, all the, the years of experience before that, each of us were evolving in our own way. And I feel that on the last record, I was just, starting to sort of push the envelope a little bit with some of the choices I was making, um, like Long Way to Go and picking that song moving on for the group. Um, you know, I think, I, I think I wanted to explore and, and see what I was capable of. And uh, I was willing to accept if it, if it wasn't good at the end of it that it wasn't worthy of, of releasing. But, you know, I think the songs are good you should be able to produce them in ways in different ways and uh and you know i was just part of of that came from the fact that uh david a very important part of that david tyson uh came up through the pop world and uh when you put different kinds of artists coming from two different music worlds together um you, you often end up with a really interesting sound some of my favorite records are the collaborations from people from different music worlds. 
Yeah, and speaking of that, you actually on this, I believe it's on this album, you teamed up with a East Coast rapper. I did. <laughs> That's just that to, to me when I read that earlier, I was just like, "There's no way, there's no way that happened." But when I read it, I was just like, "I'm going to bring it up to her and figure out how did this how did this come about." Well, it was something again. It was uh, an experiment. Um, I was willing to accept if it didn't work out in the end that we wouldn't go forward with it. Um, but again, it was, you know, I sometimes felt in the Rankin music, we would experiment with things like spoken word or, you know, putting in a loop in songs. And I just loved that. I thought it was so interesting and different. And I thought, why not go like the complete opposite end of the spectrum from a completely different music genre and incorporate that into a song that was a hit when I was a teenager mm-hmm. back in the 80s. And I think we successfully arranged it and recorded it as just a song. But I wanted one more element that sort of brought it to the present day, uh, would, something that would contemporize it even more. And it was just something I had a mutual friend. We had a mutual friend. Matthews and I um, and I said to him do you think your friend would be willing to like <laughs> try some stuff on this and he was like yeah I'll give him a call and he got on board no questions asked and he was a real trooper and <laughs> I really I like what he, he says I think uh, I think it's a really interesting version of the song I, I don't know how much you listen to the rap music but have you ever heard the artist classified yeah He's a, an artist from this part of the world. <laughs> would you uh, would you ever collaborate with the classified? Absolutely. I never say no. <laughs> I always consider carefully any kind of invitation like that. My parents, especially my mom, wanted to mention this. She really liked the song "We Rise Again." Yeah. And uh, she said, I, "I'm I'm trying to remember who it was. I think she she said that it was you and Anne Murray and a few other Nova Scotians that." Uh, did a really bang-on performance of that. Is that one of the songs that you're really proud of? You know, that song was written by a Cape Breton uh, songwriter by the name of Leon Dubinsky. And Raylene was introduced to the song. One summer, she was performing in a show called The Rise and Follies of Cape Breton Island. And she sang that song, and it was beautifully written, and it suited her voice. And... um, so when we made our third record, um, she decided she wanted to do a, another version of the song so she could perform it with the Rankin family. And the message of the song, it universally resonates with people. And she, she sang it from the time she was a young girl. And uh, I think it was on an Anne Marie television special that was filmed up in Cape Breton, and we were guests on the special. And I think Anne took a verse, and Raylene may have taken a verse. I think, was Rita McNeil also on that special? I, be- um, I believe so, yeah. yeah. I, I think so. It's a song that will live on. It was the song that Raylene was always very proud of and loved singing because it was really about, you know, living. Oh, well, whatever you want it to be about, but it was about continuing on through your children. Yeah, I, I can't remember how old I was when I, I've seen it, but I believe she was maybe 12 or 13, or she could have been even 16 at the time. There's another Nova Scotia artist. Her name just 
bypass me now, but she had a concert on CBC at the time, and she performed that song. Um, Could it have been Aslan Debison? Yes, there you go. Uh, yeah. That was like when I was first exposed to to the song in that aspect, and then I remember my parents telling me like, "Oh, you should definitely check out the Rankins version of doing it." And then I was like, Aww. "Oh, I was like, okay." And then that's kind of where I was exposed to your style of music as well. You were on, I, I believe it was, yeah, with Johnny Harris, still still standing, showing about uh, Mabu. How yeah. how did that come about, and how fun was that to do? I believe. Uh, the producers at that show reached out to uh, a volunteer organization in the area, and they weren't sure how to pursue it. Yeah. And so I think somebody suggested they contact uh, the Red Shoe. And I think we were it was an off it was off season at that point, so somehow it got redirected to me. And I just said, "Hey, yeah, you're picking a great place. If you <laughs> want to feature an interesting place, come to Mabu. Great people." incredible music, beautiful scenically. And so I was just back and forth with the producers of that show and making suggestions about what they could do while we were there. We were supposed to go snowmobiling, but there was no snow. So we ended up going out on four wheelers. Hmm. <laughs> and I was driving one of these giant, uh, I don't know, three-ton machines, and I weigh like 100 pounds. And uh, it, there was still ice on the on the old railway um, trails, and uh, I think at one point I almost had it to the water. But um, yeah, it was a, it was fun. It was an interesting experience bopping around the town with with Johnny and the crew. Nice fellow, and and really clever what they do. They only spend a few days in the community, but they're able to summarize what they've learned and incorporate it into into the history of the place and then present it to a live audience uh, in a comedic way. It's really well done and very clever. And uh, he's a great talent, Johnny. And uh, will you be at the Junos here in Ottawa? I'm going to go, yeah. You know what? One of the things I, I don't have regrets, but one of the things I often think about was how in the days of working with my family, it was rare that we had the time to take pause and celebrate the great things that were happening. I think for the most part, it was just that we couldn't. We were so busy with a treadmill, you couldn't stop. And you had to stay healthy and you had to stay rested. Um, but we, you know, we could have celebrated more when things were happening because that doesn't happen to everyone. And it doesn't usually happen twice in your lifetime that you have that kind of success. So I'm definitely going. I'm look. I I already feel like I've won <laughs> being able to record a record, um, but to be nominated, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and celebrate with David and my husband, and uh, and make a memory of it. Well, and hopefully we'll see you there because hope I'm hoping to go to the Junos myself. Okay. Well, I don't know what you look like, but <laughs> you don't know what I look like. I'm fine. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Heather Rankin for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, Heather Rankin is a treasure. She's the Betty White of Nova Scotia. By that, I mean no one hates her. Thanks for listening, and good night.
What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.